Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I ask if you would just stand for the reading of the word today, please. Reading out of um, what is by no means a classic, but after today, hopefully you'll understand why this is a classic Christmas passage. John chapter 3. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, snakes at Christmas, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You should know this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And here we go. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word, particularly on this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've been in a series entitled Light of the World that we conclude with today, but if you've not been here for the series, that's fine. This will be uh, sufficient on its own. Today, Light of the World, Illumination. And this passage may seem like a strange Christmas passage. It's not the shepherds and it's not the wise men. We did discuss that earlier in this season. And tonight will be, again, far more celebratory than what this is going to be perhaps today. But hopefully by the time we're finished, you'll understand the importance of this passage and its meaning today in light of Christmas. You see, we domesticate, um, I think, Jesus too much at Christmas time. We dress him up in little swaddling clothes and we place him very inoffensively in uh, a manger uh, along with all the accoutrements and, and increasingly the lights and all the different things that happen. And I, I love all the lights. I love all the celebration. I really do. Um, I haven't been so much into putting up lights at my own house over the years. Uh, it's been actually some years, and part of it's because I get so occupied during the season, so we don't put up lights. But this year, I don't know if it's a series or what, but for the first time in years, I put up lights in front of my house. I, we had a tree that was replacing another tree that was struck by, by a storm. And so it was replacing this tree, and it's about this front, right in front of our, our, the, house, the door of our house. And I went out there and I got some bluish type purplish lights and I put a strand of lights around that thing, that solitary kind of thin tree out there. And then I stopped. I was done. <laughs> that is my sum total for a contribution this year. 
It is my homage to uh, Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, okay? And so you go in my neighborhood and you see all these people who are cheaters, cheaters, cheaters. They pay people to put up all these massive lights and then they look cool, you know? And actually they pay them and then you come to my tree, all right? But um, like I say, it's, it's one of those things that at least honors the moment. And I think it's caught me in part because of this and the, just the solitariness of that. Maybe I'm too much of a Charlie Brown fan, but I, I, I drive through the sub and I actually just like that. My wife still doesn't understand it, but I, I like it. I just think it's beautiful. Just that singular tree, that singular light on that tree. This passage that we just read is a little bit strange, especially at the front part. It's invoking Moses and a time when the children of Israel back in the book of Numbers had sinned against God and so snakes had entered into the camp and had bitten them and they were dying from So Moses, he's been told by God to create this piece of art, to put a pole and put a bronze snake up on this pole a symbol of their sin, a symbol of what was afflicting them, and place it up there, and anybody who could get near there and look up and see that would be instantly healed. It was meant to be a precursor to Christ being put on a cross, um, carrying the sins of the world. And so what John is talking about here and, and is being said is that in the same way the snake's lifted up, that Christ is going to be lifted up. It's talking about his crucifixion, but also healing for us for our sin. And then you have the passage that says, For God so loved the world, it's out of love that he acted, that he gives his only Son to whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. And God sent his Son into the world to con- not to condemn, so not condemnation. Conviction, yes, we should feel bad about our sin. That convicts us, and we want to change. But not condemnation, that just leaves us empty and shattered and broken. And so this is what this whole passage is talking about. But then when it gets to this portion of the verdict. Light has come into the world. And, and if the text um, increased size-wise, that's what you would see there, this, this massive burst of light. But people loved the darkness more. I, I, I've got this uh, um, uh, menorah up here. Menorah just means lamp is all it means. This is a Hanukkah one because it has nine lights instead of uh, seven, which would have been uh, typical for your standard menorah that would have been in the temple, each representing a day of creation. Um, in part, I have it up here for a couple reasons. One is the season. Uh, the other thing is, is really because it, it relates to our conversation here a bit because some of the passages we're going to read about here, Jesus would have been talking about specifically at something that would have happened in October, late October, called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, but then it would have flowed into what would have called the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah. And we say, well, yeah, but Jesus didn't. Jesus was Jewish. He celebrated uh, Hanukkah. And you look here and say, well, where are the candles? Well, the traditional one would have actually been with oil lamps, olive oil lamps. And so I just want to have this up here as a little bit of an illustration to mark that and also to capture a little bit more of that season of October through December that the Jewish calendar at the time of Christ would have celebrated light. It would have been at the beginning of the Feast of the Tabernacles, it would have flowed into Hanukkah, a lot of light being expressed, okay? And it was the, uh, um, uh, so we go on. Darkness hates light, though. Now, for me, one of the, the, the standard illustrations for me was this. Years back, uh, some of you youngers may not realize there was something called the Soviet Union. All right, We had a Cold War. Occasionally got hot. We struggled against them. Now it's Russia. For five years, as a church, we were involved with Russia before, during, and after the fall of communism. 
In fact, I was in Moscow with several friends when the revolution broke out, the Russian Revolution. There's tanks in the streets. They're tearing down the, the um, uh, statues of Lenin. All that stuff was going on. And so I was there at that time. Now, no one's blamed me for that. I'm just saying I was there, okay? Um, at one point in time, we went to the south, and we were staying at a hotel, and the hotels were not great in those days. I don't know how they are now. The food was terrible. And um, my roommate and I, who was our music director at that time, we were part of a whole team, walked into our room, and we flipped on the light when we were just first sitting in the room, and suddenly 10,000 cockroaches scurried for every corner of the room. I mean, it was disturbing, and I just reflexively started doing a massive dance move and was killing everything that I could find because I realized whatever I don't kill, I'm sleeping with that night. So I'm stomping everything out, but there were so many of them. They moved so fast, we couldn't get them all. So for the entire week we were there, 10 days, we slept with the light on. Now why? Because if the light had turned off, those little suckers would have crawled all over our bodies, would have gone through our noses or in our ears, and eaten our brains, okay? Now, kids, that's not what they actually do, but that's where I was at, all right? Now, we had these airplane masks that they give you, you know, to sleep with. And so we put those on at night, we kept the lights on, and they stayed away. My roommate was a little twisted. Um, somewhere in our travel, he found a fuzzy little cat of nine tails, about three feet long, which was very smart of him that it was three feet long. And one morning I wake up to something nuzzling around my nose, and I'm getting the massive impression immediately upon waking that something's crawling in to eat my brain which I reacted to, and again, it was good that it was three feet away, and that also he ran very, very, very fast. So this idea of, of a light coming on and cockroaches scattering to me is a good illustration of what we're seeing in part in this passage with those things representing our sins. Sometimes it's us as people. And I'm not trying to say that people are cockroaches. Everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone has a meaning and a value before God. Everyone. Um... But our sin makes us run from the light, makes us um, abandon those things that were meant actually to restore us. This whole concept of light is something that's kind of different for us today because um, today we have light so readily accessible to us. We can flip on a switch and it's there. Uh, we can carry it around in the palm of our hand. We've domesticated light in many ways. But the time that this is written, in the time of Christ, light was hard to come by. It was something that struggled with an oil lamp or a candle. It was something that at night you really couldn't go too far. And if you even carried a candle, the wind could blow it out. It was, it was dark and heavy and oppressive. People worked in the daytime. They stayed home. They didn't even travel at night if they could avoid it. So our concept of light in many ways is um, cheapened by our understanding of our experience today in light of these passages. I want to try to expand your understanding of, of what it means to take you out of this modern world and to put you into the, the place and positioning that Jesus and the Jewish people were discussing at this time. To do this, we have to go back to literally the very beginning. Because if we go to Genesis chapter 1, we are find, finding that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. It was utterly dark a type of dark that we can't even begin to imagine because there's absolutely no light at all. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, so we see the Spirit being referenced. 
And then God, the Father, said, let there be light. And there's explosion of light. So we see the Spirit being referenced. We see the Father being referenced. And we're told in later passages in John chapter 1 that this word that God spoke is literally Christ, that somehow he is the embodiment of that word, that somehow there's a unity of this trinity of existence that we can't quite understand, a Father, Son, and Spirit, that there's a oneness, a unity, and there's no other belief system, there's no other perception of God out there that is quite like this, in utter unity, in utter equality, and yet somehow one. And the beauty of this that's so significant is, is that when we're told that God is love, we know he's love because the Father's always loved the Son throughout eternity. The Son has always loved the Spirit throughout eternity. The Spirit has always loved the Father throughout eternity. This triumph, this celebration of love has been throughout all time and space and now welcomes us to be a part of it. Allah stands alone. Almost every other expression of who God is is isolated or without unity. But here we find this riot of love that we're invited to come in and to be a part of. And it begins for our experience in this physical world with this expression of light. And then in John 1, we're told that the, the word was with God and the word was God. And in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus Christ is that creative, not force, but that, that entity, that person of the Godhead that gives light to everything and life to everyone. Then it says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. It can never overcome it. It can never conquer it. One passage says that it can't even comprehend it. The light is that powerful and that important and that significant. This this importance of light is a modern blindness, as I said for us, ironically, with all the light we have, to not fully understand it. I had a little bit of an illustration of this recently for me. Um, I have a small walk-in closet you know, off our bedroom in which I keep some clothes and my wife keeps all of hers. Um, and and I, 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 I've gone in there the last couple of months, and it, I don't know, honestly, this may have been going on for a year or more. I can't find certain things. It's just very dim. I have a light fixture up on the, on the thing, and, and it comes on automatically. I got one of those little auto sensors. It's so cool. And I walk in, it kicks on, and, and yet it's just dim. I, I'm having trouble telling between blue and black. I, I can't find certain things, and, and it seems like it's gotten worse. And, and I've been a little concerned, you know, that what's going on here. And then it struck me just literally a week or two ago, and I thought, wait a minute. I wonder if there's more than one light bulb in that fixture. So I get a ladder, and I climb up there, and I pull it, and lo and behold, there are three light bulbs in there. And you want to guess what, how many are working? One. Yeah, just one. Slowly, over months of time, the other light bulbs have gone out one by one so imperceptibly that I didn't see what was going on. But the colors and the vibrancy of those colors and the ability to see clearly what was in the closet of my life, if you will, had deteriorated over time. The light had dissipated, and I hadn't even tuned into it. For some of us that are followers of Christ, this is an illustration of your life or mine, and that closet that has slowly seen a dissipation of the light that once Christ brought into it. Unless we wake up to that, 
We're going to have trouble distinguishing truth. This concept of the light was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet comes and says, the people who walk in darkness will see, I want to emphasize this for you, the people who walk in darkness will see a what kind of light? I'd really like to understand this. The people who walk in darkness will see a what kind of light? Great light. It doesn't say there's going to be a light. It says it's going to be a great light. There's a sense of the light of creation again. There's a sense that in the darkness that has fallen in this world of sin, that there's going to be a recreation, a restoration, a restoration, that this great light is coming from the dawn of time to break upon this darkened sin, world of sin, and recreate, restore, reestablish the things of God. It goes on to say, for those who live in a land of, interesting phrase, deep darkness... Again, notice that. It's not darkness. It's what? It's deep darkness. It's not just light. It's a great light. So there's this deep darkness that requires a great light in order to penetrate it. Now, the the original language on this has caught me a lot because in the original language, deep darkness is translated as death casts its shadow. It's a land where death casts its shadow upon the land. That just really has caught me over the time. There's death casting its shadow in this shadow land that we live. Now, later, Isaiah's prophecy is picked up by a guy named Zechariah, who's a temple priest who, when his son's being born, he's told it's going to be something special. He's stricken. He can't speak until the son's born. When the son is born, then, he's able to to speak out, and he gives this massive prophecy in Luke chapter 1. It's like 80 verses long or so. And, and he talks about a Messiah who's going to come. He's talking about God's mercy and grace that's going to come. And then he goes on in verses 78 and 79, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to, and again, language here, break upon us. It's very active. It says to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. He's basically channeling Isaiah again. He's saying this passage, Isaiah's prophesying, it's now going to happen. And John, eventually they're going to call you John the Baptist, my son, and you are going to prepare the way for this Messiah, this Redeemer, this great light that is going to break upon us for those of us that sit in darkness and they're going to guide us to the path of peace. I don't know if you're a token fan. You don't need to be a Christian to be a token fan, but it, it helps. Um, he, he, he's, he's got these books, and he's got these movies that you may have seen, The Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, there's one part in, I think the second one of those or so, that's one of the very powerful parts in the series of, of movies. The good guys are holding out in a place called Helm's Deep. They're surrounded by all these ugly, horrifically dark characters that are assailing them, and they're losing. They're getting pushed back further and further until they're in their final citadel. It's dark, and it's rainy, and it's oppressive, and they know they're going to lose. And the king at one point in time turns to one of the major characters and says, what can men do in the face of such terrible, horrible darkness or evil? The other one looks at him and says, ride out to meet it. And so they say, okay, one last charge. We're not going to wait for them to come to us. We're gathering all the guys up, and they gather, and the music swells, and they charge on out into this massive army of, of, of horrible creatures, and they're flailing left and right, and they're, they're making some headway for a moment, but you know they're about to be overwhelmed and slaughtered. When suddenly one of the key characters, a guy named Gandalf, shows at the top of a ridge nearby, 
and the sunlight, the sunrise breaks out behind him, and he stands on this white horse, and, and, and the attention's kind of drawn to him, and the next thing you know is in a dramatic moment, this massive army of horsemen rides up alongside him, and you see that all this help that has come for them, they, they charge on down as the sunlight breaks across the, the ridge of the mountains, and, and they charge upon all those dark, horrible creatures and just utterly wipe them out and rescue the people that are there. That imagery has caught me when I read this passage that because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. We don't get the sunrise break here as much, but if you're in the mountains, when the sunrise comes over that mountain, it breaks suddenly and the canyon is flooded with light. And that's the imagery that you have here that, 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 that Zechariah is channeling in the book of Luke from Isaiah's prophecy. And if that was just it, it's like, fine, John, you're going to be a good boy. Johnny, go ahead and do this. But it goes further because we read in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is now established, come out of temptation in the desert. He's now establishing his ministry in a place near Capernaum. And Matthew writes this in chapter 4, verse 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Not just a light, a great light. For those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. He's channeling again, reiterating Isaiah's prophecy that Zechariah's picked up, and now Matthew has picked up to point out that Jesus Christ is this great light who's breaking now upon the planet and upon the people. This one thing about this though that's catching me is that the tests, the tense has changed in this though. Before it was talking about the people who walk in darkness will eventually see a great light. Um, to those who sit in darkness, something's going to come. But this one says to the people who sat in darkness, the tense has changed. It's now not Zechariah's statement or or or, or Isaiah's statement. Now it's saying this is happening now. The light is breaking now. Uh, another translation of this takes it a little deeper, and it talks about um, uh, it, it, where death casts its shadow. It echoes the other one there of saying, and it calls it the shadow land of death. I've spoken at many funerals over the years, and um, one of the things I bring out in a funeral is from this passage and other ones is that we live currently in the shadow lands. You know, wherever there's a light, there's always a shadow as well, too. It doesn't mean that this isn't real and and not tangible. It is, but it's the shadow of, of what is the deepest reality that exists. And so the world we live in, C.S. Lewis and others have referred to as the Shadowlands, based on this scripture. What that means is that what we have here is real, but it's darker than the reality of heaven. And when we die and when we go to heaven, it's not a matter of becoming an angel and getting our wings. That's not true. It's not a matter of sitting on a cloud and plucking on a, on a, on a harp. Not that, no, that's real. It's a translation from these shadow lands into the deepest reality, the deepest light of truth that exists. It's being present with God who himself is light, and there is no shadow that exists. What that means is that, that your friends and my friends and family members who've gone beyond and, and, and possibly dogs, definitely not cats, are in heaven. And, and they, they, they're there and we sit here and say, but they miss us. So they don't miss you at all. 
They're in the deepest, most powerful reality that could exist. They have the light of God. They have a joy. They have a depth of of reality. We can't even begin to comprehend. That's what this means. This is the world we live in. But we dress up this Christmas. We dress it up as something to, you know, tinsel and all the rest. But this first Christmas was not just dark. This first Christmas was bloody. After the wise men leave, they don't go back to Herod. He sends soldiers. He kills every child under two in Bethlehem. It was a bloody, dark place, and that's just the way it was in that time. It's the way the world was. You and I know a little bit about darkness and light, but I don't think we fully understand the world they existed in. It was a place where, where, where such violence was commonplace. We see it increasingly in our world as it's being stripped away. Jesus overcame that. He comes on and eventually becomes 30 years of age, the age of a rabbi, and he begins to teach. And as he begins to teach, he has a very important moment where he's gone to the temple and he's teaching. And as we're told during the Feast of the Tabernacles, and one of the things that was important in that time period um, that was a big celebration is that they would light these 75-foot menorahs, which again just means lamps. They weren't necessarily seven or eight. They were just oil lamps. They would have used ladders to get up to them. When they lit these huge 70-foot lamps, I think there were four of them, I think they were, it lit up the entire Temple Mount area. And as a result, it cast light over the entire city because if you, if you look at that location, it just it's above the whole city. It was in that context as that light's going up and everyone's going ooh and ah, and there's dancing and celebration, all in anticipation that God is eventually going to bring salvation to them, that Jesus, maybe it was just after it was lit, or maybe it was after it was extinguished and the parting had died down, and in that silent moment that maybe he stood up and he quotes, he speaks in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, he spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. In the sudden darkness of the extinguishment of the best light they'd known, the celebration that they had, he speaks this out. It's the culmination of Isaiah, Zechariah, Matthew. It's the echo of Genesis chapter 1. And he says, if you follow me, you will have the light that leads to life. One of my favorite Christmas uh, carols we sing is O Little Town of Bethlehem. It says, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. But this passage to me, as the music descends a bit, yet in thy dark streets, in the dark and bloody streets of Bethlehem, in the darkness that we see in Bethlehem even right now where they've stopped all Christmas celebrations, in the dark streets of Moscow or Kiev, Peking, Washington, Detroit, London, Buenos Aires, Johannesburg, Cairo. In the dark streets where the cockroaches run and the sins are carried out, where people run from the light. In those dark streets of Bethlehem, it says, yet in thy dark streets, and that's it, it says yet, yes, it's dark, but yet in those dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years, 
are met in thee tonight. Jesus is saying, I am that light. From the dawn of time, I've come to walk these streets. I've come to remove the darkness, not just from the cities and the towns and the places, but from your heart, from my heart, from the cockroaches that run within our own heart and mind. He's come to remove those things, and, and it's about repentance. And repentance isn't just about admitting sin and feeling sorry that we got caught or, or, or feeling bad about it. Repentance is, is talking about godly sorrow, and it's, it's this heartfelt brokenness that's proven in a changed life over time, that something in us changes dramatically as we come in contact with the light of God. Every year, my family goes to um, see the Christmas Carol at Meadowbrook. Oftentimes, it's on a Sunday. After I've already spoken in two services, and I'm not too chipper by the time we get 8 o'clock at night, we're seeing this thing. So I tend to sometimes drift in and out, but, and I sometimes I'm like, oh, we're going to go see this again tonight. And yet every single time I've gone, there's been something that's, that's caught my attention. And this time was no different. It's a beautiful story of, of, a, of a man caught with his own sin and darkness who's being visited by spirits, re- reverses course and repents. And when he reaches that point, he said this, and I wrote it down afterwards. It really caught me. Is he's now a changed individual. He's now basically had a salvation experience, if you will. He says, I am not the man that I was. I will not be the man that I have been. I was really caught by that. I am not the man that I was. I will not be the man that I have been. That's one of the best expressions of repentance that I've ever seen. We want the grace that God gives us, but we don't want the truth. And we're told that Christ comes with grace and truth. We want to celebrate the little baby, but we don't want to accept the man who challenges us deeply in our lives. But he stands in that temple area, and as those lights are being extinguished, he makes the statement that he is that light of the world that can penetrate the darkness of even our own heart and mind. What was Jesus trying to get across to his believers? I think there's one writer I've come across really recently that captured it. Marshall Siegel, in an article saying, God's not afraid of the dark, says this, an entire system of spiritual darkness, spearheaded by Satan himself, carried out by hordes of demons, influencing every corner of earth, rages right below the surface of our everyday lives. How do you live with any hope while we drowned in all of this darkness, divorce, cancer, war, job loss, illnesses, all that's part of this? He says, we are self-centered and self-driven without Jesus. We come to the end of ourselves and our efforts become overwhelmed by the natural darkness in our hearts. No one has a good heart in a natural state. We all fall short. Jesus came so we could experience the power of the Holy Spirit. God's loving embrace of the wisdom of his word and our relationship with him shed his light on others living in darkness. And then he says this, one reason the darkness around us, this caught me, is so terrifying, is that we see so much of ourselves in it. 
our weaknesses, our fears, our brokenness, our sin. For many of us, no darkness is more intimidating than our own. But if we put our faith in Christ, the God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, can shine into your heart and into mine. In the same way he turned on a blinding sun in a galaxy of darkness, he can open your heart and my heart to the truth. In the same way that he can reach out and banish the darkness that is within even the darkest heart and mind and spirit. The passage we looked at at the very beginning spells out for us the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Not to condemn, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. Light, a great light, has come into this world of deep darkness. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and won't come into it. They run. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what, they've been done, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This morning, I want to invite you to come in to that light. I want to invite you and extend the invitation that I believe that God himself has extended to us to let that light of his grace and his truth penetrate even now. For some of us, we've already accepted Christ, but over time that light has begun to diminish bulb by bulb, and, and we, we're, we haven't even noticed that we're in a place of diminishing awareness to the light. For others of us, it's not penetrated at all. And for you, I need to tell you this. There is a darkness that hates you. It hates me. It hates Jewish people most of all because it's through the Jewish people that Jesus Christ and the Messiah came. But don't get me wrong. This darkness hates everybody. It hates Jewish people. It hates Palestinians. It hates Russians. It hates Chinese. It hates Americans. It hates Mexicans. It even hates Canadians. It hates Kenyans, Indians, Egyptians, Tanzanians, Filipinos, white folk, black folk. This darkness hates all of mankind with a passionate to destroy and extinguish. And it's a darkness that enters into our own life, into our own mind, and darkens our thinking and our awareness and our sensitivity to the things of God. Christmas is a festival of lights. But don't get distracted. The most important one is the one that came in the person of Jesus Christ. That great light to penetrate the darkness, reach into our own souls, and restore us. This morning, don't run from it. Don't hide from it. This morning, 
on this Christmas celebrational time, open yourself to that light and let it penetrate the darkest crannies of your heart and of your mind. Now, this may seem, some of you don't remember this, but there was a, a, an advertisement years ago for a motel. A guy named Tom Bodette, I think he was a country singer. I don't know, never heard of him before. But the, but the, but the, but the, 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 the advertisement worked its way in my brain. Because he'd finish every single time of saying, this motel, it's not expensive. It can be like home for you. You're welcomed here. It's not hard to find. We're everywhere, and it's easy to come in. And those who were around at that time, remember, he'd always end it by saying, we'll leave the light on for you. Your Heavenly Father didn't just leave the light. He brought it into your darkness. This is a world-changing moment. And he extends an invitation to you and to me this morning. For some of us, there's been a diminishment of this light over time. And it's taken this moment now to realize that we need to check the source and return to where we should be at. For others of you, you've never really considered the darkness in your own heart and mind. Where you thought it so overwhelming that nothing could ever penetrate it. But the entire goal of the gospel, of the life of Jesus Christ, was to be an invitation. I'm not going to ask you this morning to raise your hand and accept Christ. I'm not going to ask you to stand and make a profession of faith. I am simply going to ask this, that in this final song of this play, that you would come to Christ, that you would accept that invitation, that you yourself would look to Christ on that cross in the same way that that snake in the desert was raised up in that sin and that darkness that is in you. Look up and realize it's pinned to that cross and that if you accept Christ this morning, that the light of his grace can come in and restore you. You can pray that. You can speak to God yourself. You don't need me to do that for you. But this Christmas, it's about an invitation. Now this song is a driving, intense song. I think sometimes you need something a little strong to drive out the darkness. So don't get lost in that. But accept the invitation this morning to come into the light. So Father, this morning, on this Christmas Eve Sunday morning, we don't just give thanks for you, Lord. We acknowledge the darkness that resides within us that thing that that hates and wants to devour us. And I pray, Lord, that as we come face to face to that, to grips with that, that there be individuals of us in this time of invitation that would reach out to you. And even the driving force of this moment would come to realize the driving power of your love and your great grace this morning. In Jesus' name. One final note for you. Um, just before Jesus does this whole I am the light of the world thing in the temple, the experience just before that is the woman caught in adultery who sinned greatly. You know what he says when it's finished? There's no one there to condemn. He doesn't say, go party on, dude. He says, go and sin no more. I'm not the man I was. I will not be the man or woman that I have been. Repentance means actions and change. Tonight, we're going to come together. It'll be a great celebration. 
And it's a beautiful moment. Join us if you can at 8 o'clock. For the rest of you, Father, I pray your blessing, not only now, but in this new year. We pray your grace and the strength we need that your light would shine in our world and through our world. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas to you, and have a great 2024.